This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're looking tonight at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a, a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or bad. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this evening, and thank you for these momentous truths of which this passage speaks. And we pray that you will guide us into a deeper understanding of them this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been said that in the 19th century it was okay to speak of death but not of sex. Now it's okay to speak of sex, but not of death. Uh, to talk about death is seen as vaguely uncouth, uh, something of a taboo subject, something that people would prefer to avoid. On the other hand, in other areas, almost anything goes in conversation and in the media to the point of embarrassment. Uh, but don't dare mention death, because that's a taboo subject. Well, the Bible is not squeamish, and certainly the Apostle Paul is not squeamish uh, about talking about sex or death. But tonight we're going to be talking about death. I hear from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul has been writing in chapter 4 about ministry, and he, in the course of those words, describes fruitful ministry as, in in a, a real way, growing out of a kind of death. Death metaphorically, uh, perhaps literally, but Paul really has in mind the death to one's own desires, the death even to one's own reputation, the death perhaps to one's worldly comfort, the death to all kinds of things that go into ministering to other people. Paul doesn't say it here, but in in another place, I die daily. Should be your clue, he's not speaking of literal death. Uh, but dying a kind of death, dying with Christ in his ministry, as he says in verse 11, 
dying for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And we said when we studied that passage that every ministry uh, involves a death of some kind uh, to one's self in order to cultivate life in someone else. Uh, For a Sunday school teacher, it involves at least some time given over to preparation. It involves time given over to prayer for those students. Uh, It involves the effort that goes into that, uh, at least to that degree. Uh, But ministry involves a death in some way to one's own desires or preferences or convenience in order to impart life to another. And certainly in extreme cases, that death may be literal. Uh, and God using that to extend his kingdom. And so Paul is, is talking about his ministry, and he kind of comes full circle in chapter 4, verse 16. He began in verse 1, we do not lose heart. Then verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Because of two realities, the reality of our own physical decay, but at the same time, the reality of our inward spiritual renewal, of our growth in grace, even as outwardly we age, uh, become uh, more and more weak, uh, inwardly we should be growing stronger uh, and growing stronger in those things which ultimately are eternal, as Paul says. Now, having addressed this metaphorical death in ministry and having here touched on the whole matter of our phys- eventual physical decay, even as we renewed inwardly, he then takes up the subject of death itself. And you recall from our study of Ecclesiastes how from a secular point of view, death is the great equalizer. Because it doesn't matter how wise or how foolish, how wealthy or how poor uh, you are, it all leads to death. And so from a strictly secular point of view, it, it flattens everything. It really ultimately does not matter. Well, of course, the Bible as a whole uh, presents a very different view of death and what comes after. Not the, it's not endorsing the secular view. In fact, in some ways, Ecclesiastes is an argument by absurdity. Uh, we said in that study, just as the law drives us to Christ by convicting us and bringing guilt, Ecclesiastes, in its place in the scriptures, and is, is in a sense meant to drive us to Christ, not so much by guilt, but by bringing us to see the futility, the emptiness of life apart from Christ, and apart from that eternal perspective. Well, Paul certainly takes the eternal perspective here. He begins with, uh, in some ways, three words that are probably the most important words in this passage. For we know. For we know. Paul is not here engaging in speculation. Now, what comes after death? What do you think comes after death? I don't know. What do you think comes after death? Not at all. There is a ring of certainty here, not because he has somehow uh, figured this out himself, but because it's been revealed to him. Because God has revealed this to us in Scripture. What are we to anticipate? What are we to expect at the moment of death? What, what comes afterward? Well, those are important questions, and that's that which Paul deals with here. For we know, because God has revealed this to us, and we take this not as speculation, not as, as hopeful guessing, but as what God himself has revealed. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from 
God, a house not made with hands in the heavens. Now, verse 1 is absolutely loaded with a great deal of truth. And Paul begins by saying, we know that the tent, which is our earthly home, he's referring here, of course, to our body. Uh, And he describes it as a tent on purpose. The word is the same word that's translated in other places, tabernacle, skene, uh, Greek word for tent or tabernacle. Uh, and, and in fact, it's the, uh, the word that comes up in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling or pitched his tent or tabernacled among us. It's that same word that, that sort of would bring to mind the Old Testament tabernacle. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, this was the word that was used of that, uh, that portable and temporary worship center uh, made out of rods and poles and stands and skins uh, meant to be portable and ultimately not permanent, but in fact was pointing toward the permanent temple established there, built there in Jerusalem. So Paul says that we, we know that the tent, which, which has this element of being temporary, not permanent, if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. But what is it? Paul speaks here of a building from God. And some people on that basis have interpreted what Paul is saying is this, that when we die... When our body is, it succumbs to death, when it is destroyed, then we go into a heavenly dwelling. A, a, almost a, the picture being a, a structure, a building, a heavenly home. You know, Jesus in John 14 says that my father's uh, house are many rooms or many mansions. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Is this the same kind of thing Jesus is speaking of there? Some have suggested it is. I would disagree because I think that what Paul is describing here is not so much our heavenly dwelling place or habitation, but a, a heavenly body. In other words, a resurrection body. Now, remember, Paul, as he wrote his letters, sometimes spoke as though He was speaking to people who would be alive when Christ returned. He was prepared for that possibility. But there were in other places where Paul addressed the the whole question of what happened to those who've already died or himself and others who might might die before Jesus returns. Jesus didn't know, or Paul didn't know when Jesus was going to return, so he addresses both contingencies. But in any case, uh, as believers, we will one day have a glorified resurrection body even as Christ was raised with a glorified uh, body after his death. Well, let's look a little bit further. I want to explore that a bit more, but it helps to go on and see what Paul is saying here because he adds to it. Uh, so what Paul is saying, first of all, in verse 1 to summarize is, if our, if our current body is destroyed, we will have a, another resurrection body eternal in the heavens, a house not made with hands, an expression that occurs in other places in Scripture simply to indicate it's not of human making. It's of divine making, a divine preparation. Let's go on to verse 2. Paul says, For in this tent, in this current body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. 
if indeed by putting it on we, we may not be found naked. Now Paul says, in this tent we groan with, with this longing, longing for what is to come. Now, you uh, scholars of Paul, can you think of another place where Paul speaks of this same kind of anticipation, even uses the same word, to groan with longing for something? All of creation groaning. Yes, Romans 8, Paul is using the same kind of uh, language here that he does in, in Romans 8 when he speaks of that, that anticipation, um, longing for what is to come. Romans eight twenty, the creation was subjected to futility. Uh, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Uh, not only the creation, we ourselves, verse 23, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he, he died to redeem our soul, to be sure, but he also died to redeem our bodies, and our bodies are in union with Christ. Uh, we've spoken of this before, that um, the body is very much a part of who we are and will be in, in the new heavens and the new earth. Part of the, uh, the pain of death is, is that body that once was alive, that we once knew and loved and conversed with and saw and touched, is now inert, dead, uh, even while the soul is with heaven, is with the Lord in heaven. But let's go ahead and look at verse 3. Uh, we'll put verse 2. Paul says, In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, which I would maintain is our resurrection body, If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed or naked, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, I think this passage is what really clinches for me the view that Paul is talking about a resurrection body and not simply our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly home. Now, that's true. We will have a heavenly home. But uh, Paul says that what we're longing for here is that that resurrection body that's no longer subject to sin, no longer subject to death, no longer subject to illness or injury, so forth, in the new heavens and new earth. He says that we would not be found naked. And then again in verse 4, not that we would be unclothed, but further clothed. Now, here's where I think this becomes clear. Paul is describing what happens to the believer at death. When a believer dies, his soul goes to be with the Lord. His body is laid to rest in the ground or cremated and put in the ground or whatever. But his body, obviously, is here. The soul is with the Lord. In what condition is that soul? Well, I would maintain that the soul is, is, is in a disembodied condition. We're present with the Lord, glorified, uh, in a state of... of Tremendous bliss, tremendous joy, the presence of the Lord, and yet still waiting. Waiting the return of Christ, waiting the resurrection. Remember the souls under the altar in Revelation. How long, O Lord, how long before you vindicate? How long before you vindicate us in the face of those who put us to death? How long before you vindicate yourself? How long before you vindicate the gospel. And so for Paul, this naked or unclothed state, I would submit to you, is that state of being disembodied with the Lord. A state of, of, of inexpressible joy, 
And yet at the same time, a state of anticipation of even something better. We're made to have bodies. We're not made to be disembodied spirits. We're not angels. Never will be angels. We don't die and become angels. We're made to have bodies, physical bodies. Now, you say, well, you know, how can, how can a soul without a body function? How will we know each other? How will we see or hear? I don't know. Although I do think that as pe- even as physical people, we are spiritual too. And there's an element of consciousness, of uh, knowledge, of perception, of emotion that goes beyond merely the firing of neurons and synapses and so forth in our brains. We are more than chemical processes taking place in our cranium, our skull. There is a spirit, and that spirit will be, or soul, I think those two is the same, will be with the Lord even as our body is laid to rest, that body in union with Christ, to be resurrected. So when, when Paul speaks here of being naked or being unclothed, I think he's speaking of that interim state, that condition where our soul is with the Lord and yet our soul and our body await the resurrection and the anticipation of being reunited on that day. And so Paul says not that we would be unclothed, that's not ultimately what we're longing for, but further clothed. And now look, listen to his language, language, language here, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Again, what does it sound like? What is Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, right? So that what is more so that mortality will be swallowed up by immortality. What is Paul talking about there? He's talking about the resurrection of the believer. Of whom Christ is the first fruits, right? That whole long chapter on Christ's resurrection being the first fruits and then the believer's resurrection coming where where yeah, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? It's been swallowed up by, by, by Christ and his triumph. But the uh, mortality will put on immortality. And again, you have that, that same this, that similar wording, the same kind of phrasing there. What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And so that's another reason I think Paul here is describing uh, the death of our earthly body. The soul being with the Lord the body, and being what Paul would describe as naked or unclothed without a body. And then further clothed with that resurrection body where what is mortal is swallowed up by life. And he's, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Now, just to perhaps confirm to you uh, this understanding of this text... I want to read to you just the first paragraph of chapter 32 of the Westminster Confession of the state of men after death and of the resurrection of the dead. Because I think that the view that I've just given you from this passage is, is the, our confessional view. Where it says the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them the souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Beside these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. In other words, ruling out purgatory or some other, some other kind of place. 
Uh, at the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed, and all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with differing qualities, different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. So the confessional view is, I think, reflects the interpretation that I've given you here from this passage. Um, on the one hand, it's different from a view that simply sees us as going to heaven and there receiving a glorified body in heaven. I've heard even people in the PCA mention that view. I, I, that's not the confessional view, and I don't think it was what Paul's saying here. But at the same time, it, it rejects any kind of uh, Greek view, uh, Plato or, or Pythagoras, this view that the soul is released from the body at death and goes up and gets united with cosmic oneness and, you know, the age of Aquarius dawns or whatever. Uh, this idea that somehow the soul is to be set free from the body as though that's the good. That's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a resurrection. The Bible teaches that body and soul will be reunited in that day of Christ's return to live in the new heavens and the new earth, a physical place, not an ethereal, vague, fuzzy, cloudy kind of place, but a very solid and real place with glorified bodies that are more real, not less, than the bodies that we have now. And Paul says, for that reason, verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Why? Well, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. This is very reminiscent of what Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi. For to me, to live is, uh, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Again, you know, if people point it out, you take Christ out, and to die is gain makes no sense. To live is Christ. To die is gain. So here... In this body, in this world, I live for Christ. When I die, I only gain by the experience. And so that's what he says here. We are of good courage. would rather be with the Lord, uh, but whether we're here, whether we're with the Lord, our aim is to please him. Not that in heaven we're going to have to struggle to do that. That will be much easier in heaven, uh, in the intermediate state as well as in the final state of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, but Paul goes on with this reminder, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, with this thought of pleasing him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. The point of that, verse 10, is not that the destiny of the believer is in any way in question. The point, rather, is accountability. Uh, Paul says whether we're here, wherever we are, in heaven, certainly, but even here, we make it our aim to please the Lord. Why? Because we're going to have to give an account. Because we will have to appear before him, even we who are believers, not because the question of our salvation is somehow hanging in the balance, but we will have to, to give an account. Uh, remember in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul speaks of uh, our work being evaluated and those who built with uh, wood, straw, and stubble being burned up and those who built, who built with gold and uh, other noble materials that work coming through the fire uh, unscathed. Uh, even those whose work is burned up, Paul says, they'll be saved, but as through fire if they're in Christ. And the outcome is, was, was, was determined at the cross and, and by God's grace, the person believing in Christ. And so Paul simply reminds us here, as we think about death, um, 
certainly prior to our death here in this life, as well as in the life to come, we want to make it our, our goal, our aim, to live in a way that is pleasing to God, knowing that we live as those who will have to give an account. But twice there, Paul says, so we're of good courage. Death is not the great equalizer. Death does not render everything meaningless. But rather, death is our entry into the presence of Christ, and it is where we will be with with Christ awaiting that great day of his return. That's the Christian view of death, the Christian view of what lies beyond. And again, this isn't speculation. This isn't hopeful guessing. But Paul begins this by saying, For we know. And for that reason, for all of us as believers, in, in whatever endeavors God calls us to, we should be of good courage. Because the end is not emptiness. The end is not obliteration. But the end is glory with Christ and because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that because uh, he lived and died and was raised, because he is coming again, uh, the sting of death is removed. And Lord, certainly because of the unknown nature of that experience, there is some trepidation of it, the fear of pain, the fear of uh, what that death might mean to those we love. Even, Lord, the thought of what we might miss if we were not here. But Father, I pray that you would give me and give us a truly biblical view of, of death. Increase our faith. We do want to live by faith and not by sight. But, Father, we pray that knowing what has been accomplished and knowing what lies ahead, that we would indeed be of good courage along with your servant, Paul. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.